Spider-Man is back in the MCU. The Last of Us Part 2 is actually a game that's going to release in our lifetime. This shocking news and something that will save your life on this episode of Double Helix News. David Spaderington reporting you all the news you need to know for your entire life. No other news sources needed but Double Helix News. Spider-Man is back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What? I did not see this coming. I'm getting this from ScreenRant.com, by the way. Spider-Man is not only getting another solo movie in the MCU coming out on July 16th of 2021, but he will also be appearing in another Marvel-made MCU movie. This news right here, this exact news, is why I waited to release that initial news report about Spider-Man exiting the MCU. I thought about, uh, you know, releasing an episode immediately talking about it, but I was thinking, you know what, there's still potential for them to work it out, but then both parties said, hey, this is the end, and so I thought, oh, this is the end, but guess what? This is not the end, as it turns out. They're back together. They have somehow worked out a deal. We don't know what the intricacies of the deal are at this point. Uh, you know, supposedly, like, Marvel was like, hey, we want 50-50, and Sony's like, hey, we ain't doing that, you know? I, so I don't know what they worked out, you know, if it's if it's 25, 75 an hour or what. I don't know what they worked out, but somehow Sony and Marvel worked it out for at least one more movie in the MCU. I don't know if this is the final movie in the MCU, if that's how they kind of worked it out that way, or I, I kind of have a feeling that this is the final MCU movie for this Spider-Man. Uh, either way, I kind of think they should start making an easy way to cut ties with the broader MCU, you know, uh, because this deal is going to be shorter than we expected. I guess I expected the deal to hit at least that three movie mark and, and probably continue on from there. But it seems like if the deal is already shuddering at this point, they probably should start making an easy way for them to cut ties and for them to just exit for Spider-Man to exit out of the Marvel cinematic universe. Uh, now, whether it was this way before the split, or this is a new wrinkle now, I don't know, but Spider-Man is now able to swing back and forth between the MCU and Sony's Spider-Man Venom universe. Uh, Kevin Feige has been quoted as saying, he happens to be, he being Spider-Man, happens to be the only hero with the superpower to cross cinematic universes. So as Sony con continues to develop their own Spidey-verse, you know, you never know what surprises the future might hold. So there we go. Spider-Man, not 
I guess 100% confirmed, but pretty much confirmed to be showing up with Venom or with the characters in that universe at some point in probably not the too distant future, I would guess. And uh, this doesn't really surprise me, but I do see this... I see the potential for this to become very confusing. You know, I mean, like, Kevin Feige insinuates that the, you know, Sony's Venom universe there is not in the MCU, right? Because he's like, hey, you can cross cinematic universes, insinuating, hey, okay, this is a separate cinematic universe not taking place in the MCU. But then, okay, if that's the case, is this the same Spider-Man, then, that will show up in the Venom movies? Like... Can the can Marvel stuff carry over into a Venom movie? Like, uh, you know, can he reference back to the Avengers in a Venom movie? Can he not? Can his past just be cut off there? Like, wh what is that relationship gonna be? Is this the same Spider-Man, or is this an alternate Spider-Man? that has just had very similar experiences and is basically the same exact character as the MCU Spider-Man. Are these two different Spider-Mans that are just very similar, very close, and almost interchangeable? Or are they the same Spider-Man and he's somehow just existing in both of these cinematic universes at the same time, despite the fact that both of these cinematic universes do not have the same history? You know, do, can, can Spider-Man invite Venom to join the Avengers? You know, because Spider-Man is apparently a part of the Avengers now, right? So can he invite Spider-Venom and be like, hey, can he try out to be an Avenger or something? Can he reference Venom in a Marvel movie, you know, in an MCU movie? How is this all going to work? I don't really know. I'm not surprised that they're doing this. I kind of expected them to do this anyway, you know, so it doesn't surprise me. I just see a lot of room for confusion and unclarity here. It's not very clear as to how this is going to work, and I think it will probably just stay that way. <laughs> um, but overall, I'm excited. I'm really happy that Spider-Man is at least going to get that trilogy in the MCU. We're at least going to get those three movies in the MCU, which is kind of the bare minimum that I was hoping for in the MCU. And there's definitely potential for them to stay together in the future, too, after this, you know. But, I mean, so far from what it sounds like, they've only signed up for... Uh, that one movie and then Spider-Man appearing in some other Marvel movie. You know, w what is that one going to be? I have no idea. Is it going to be, you know, Doctor Strange or, or Black Panther 2 or whatever that's going to be? I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited that he's back in the MCU. And I hope we can continue this for a few more movies. Even if it's like the kind of thing where, okay, you know, they signed up for, what, four or five movies or whatever uh, right near the beginning. Maybe this time they'll just keep doing one movie at a time and we'll just every single time be in suspense. But I do hope we get a few more movies out of this, hopefully. But even if this is the last one, I'm just glad that we're going to get that trilogy and kind of maybe round off a story arc of him, his his high school years or whatever. Round off this kind of story arc here set in the MCU. The next bit of news here is that there was a new Last of Us Part 2 trailer during this last state of play, and it wasn't just a trailer, it wasn't just a gameplay trailer or a story-based trailer, it had a little bit of both in there it looked like, but it was mostly a story-based trailer. Not only that though, but it has the release date for The Last of Us Part 2. 
February 21st, 2020. So we're, what, like five months away or so from The Last of Us Part Two, and I could not be more excited. This trailer, man, this trailer got me more excited for this game than any trailer has in a long time. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, so I'm, I'm just kind of going to go through this trailer, talk about a lot of the things that happened, go through a lot of the the, the highs and lows and that kind of thing, because I'm, I'm just so excited about this game. In case you don't know, The Last of Us is my favorite game of all time. I love that game so much. I have a big review of it back in the day. I think I'm going to re-review it again because uh, I think I have some different new opinions and things about the game than what I said back then. But the thing that stayed true to what I said back then is that this is my favorite video game of all time, The Last of Us. And so we're getting a sequel to my favorite video game of all time. I mean, I don't expect it to live up to that first one just because, at least to me, that first one is such a high bar, such a high mark but man I am excited I am so excited for this so let's just start going through the trailer here uh first off they're still definitely uh, leaning hard into the homosexual angle uh which is kind of a bummer to me but it's also to be expected judging on uh, the the stuff we've seen previously here at some point I'm planning on uh, going into a little more depth on the homosexuality that's in The Last of Us and probably just kind of homosexuality uh, in general here, probably sometime between now and February 21st. I'm intending to do multiple Last of Us episodes between now and then, and so one of the things that I intend to focus on in one of those episodes will be uh, the, the homosexual reveal that happened in Left Behind. Alright, so moving on from that, you can wait, I guess, to get my full uh, views on that, or you could go back and listen to my review of Left Behind, which happened before too, but... It appears Ellie's girlfriend gets fridged near the beginning of this game. In case you don't know what fridged is, that's a it's a comic book reference, I guess, that Green Lantern's girlfriend was found dead in a refrigerator. Basically, it's killing off a typically a female character, but like a spouse or a significant other type of character in order to just progress the story story of the main character. That's what fridging somebody means. So uh, it appears that her girlfriend is going to get fridged near the beginning of this game and Ellie is just on a revenge quest through the rest of the game. Now then again, this is a Naughty Dog game, so, you know, they like to surprise us with stuff, so maybe this trailer is misleading. You know, we only, we, we don't see anything, we only hear the gunshot, uh, you know, maybe they didn't kill her, maybe she's just captured, or, or like, judging from the previous trailer, they're some kind of, like, crazy cult that wants to, like, uh, cut babies out of people's stomachs you know so while they're still alive and stuff it's like it so it makes sense maybe that she would still be alive possibly uh on the other hand we never even you know they we never even see who they have right so we're only left to assume it's the girlfriend but it could be someone else entirely you know what if it's it's tommy you know or somebody but uh 
it seems to me Tommy wouldn't be the one that would get her on a rage-fueled mission like she is here. I think there's really only two people that we know of, at least from the first game, that would get her on this rage-fueled mission. Uh, one would be her girlfriend that shows up in this game, or and the other would be Joel. What if this is Joel instead of her this new girlfriend character? That would definitely send Ellie into a crazy revenge spree. Uh, I mean, I really hope it's not Joel. I want Joel to be in a lot of this game because, man, I love that character. But I could see Naughty Dog pulling a fast one on us and being like, no, this is Joel that dies right here. And that's that's where we go from here. In which case, oh, man, that would be super sad. But, I mean, if if it's good for the story... I am fine with Joel dying. Now, okay, speaking of Joel, we see Joel at the end of this trailer, and that's when I kind of lost my mind watching this trailer with excitement of going, oh yeah, this is so awesome. Uh, we haven't seen Joel in any of the marketing for part two yet, and there was rumors that he was already dead at the beginning of this game, which would have been a, a sucky way to end the character, but it appears that that's not what happened, so I'm definitely happy about that. On the other hand, when she sees him, I mean, she is the only one around, and she's, like, confused as to why he's there. So maybe, you know, he, she could be a figment of his of her imagination or, or something along those lines. Uh, you know, on the other hand, uh, in the previous trailer, the gameplay trailer, somebody mentions uh, talking to her old man, who is presumably Joel. So, you know, he is, I guess, present in the camp there at that point. Uh, so... You know, maybe maybe he's there in the camp alive. They the cult kills him, and now she just sees him in her head every now and again, or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see. I, my guess is it's her girlfriend, the new girlfriend character here. That's the one who dies. My guess is it's not Joel. Joel, they're gonna wait until the end of the game to kill. Because <laughs> I think either way. I don't really think Joel's going to make it out of this game alive. Whether he's dead near the beginning of the game, and that's what spurs her on right near the beginning, or they end it near the end of the game, I, I don't think Joel is going to survive this one. And honestly, I'm okay with that, you know? As long as they do it for the story and for character reasons. You know, I mean, I hope he's he's there throughout most of the game because I, I love this character. And I hope they don't just fridge him. I don't know if you say that about male characters. I think it's primarily just female characters. But I hope they don't just kill him off just to spur her on right at the beginning of the game. That would be kind of a lame way to go right there. But as long as they do it, for for a good reason, for a good story reason, for a good character reason, then I am okay with them killing Joel off, and I think, I kind of think it's going to happen, you know? <laughs> uh, okay, I mentioned Tommy earlier. We get a glimpse of Tommy here, Joel's brother, in this trailer. He's trying to stop Ellie from making this stupid decision of going on this revenge quest. At least that's what it looks like in the trailer. It's quick, but it's it's really cool to see him in here too. Uh, we get some dialogue with some of the new characters. Not much, but uh, you know, I I don't have much to say on them. I hope they're good characters and you know serve more to the story and more to these characters than just adding diversity to the cast of characters, you know, I mean, I guess there's my pessimistic side coming out, but, uh, 
you know, I mean, Naughty Dog and, and Neil Druckmann in particular really seems to be high on the diversity, uh, you know, inclusion type of thing, which doesn't always end up with good storytelling, in my opinion. But hey, he made it really work in the first Last of Us, so there we go. Uh, we get some more clicker action here, which is cool. Uh, we haven't really seen that much clicker gameplay, you know? I mean, uh, considering this is a, a zombie apocalypse game, but I assume they're teasing us with the more interesting stuff, aka the character stuff, you know? And they're saving the zombie action for the actual game. Maybe we'll get more of that later in another trailer or something, but I'm assuming they're saving that for the actual game, teasing us with the more thematic, more interesting stuff, which ultimately is the character stuff, right? Now, there is a creature in this trailer that kind of looks like a bloater, but he also looks a little different. Uh, it might just be a bloater, but I, I do hope they bring in some other versions of zombies in this game. You know, some other versions of these these clickers or whatever they're going to be called because there's a bunch of different kinds of ones here. But I hope we uh, we get some new versions here because that would be fun to fight against, fun to discover in the game, you know. Because, you know, like, like we didn't know really about bloaters much. At least I didn't play in the first Last of Us. So, you know, it was like a great moment when that bloater burst into the school in the first game. You know, I hope there's another thing like that where another new zombie kind of thing bursts in. And you're like, whoa, how do I take on this one? This one's different, you know. So that's, I hope there's something like that. And we get a glimpse of potentially something like that. But again, it, it could just be... A slightly different looking bloater. I don't know. Uh, the graphics, dude, the graphics looks absolutely insane. They look amazing. So good. Um, now, supposedly, this game is going to be so big that it's going to come out on two discs because it's just going to be so, like, technologically huge, you know? Uh, which, that's nuts. That's kind of awesome, honestly. Now, that could turn out not to be the case. That's a rumor at this point. But if that's the case, that is pretty awesome, <laughs> honestly. Uh, I, I like that. Uh, they have said that there is no multiplayer this time around, uh, which, you know, is kind of a bummer. I didn't play the multiplayer too much of the first one, but from what I did play, it's kind of a different, unique take on multiplayer, which is cool. I, I like that. So I definitely would have checked out the multiplayer of this one, but it looks like, okay, it's not happening there. But they said something interesting. Like, when, when getting interviewed about it, they said, you know, we wanted to focus on the main game. We were developing a multiplayer aspect to this game, but then, you know, this the main game was becoming so big that they just wanted to focus fully on the main game, just release that, and we'll do something with the multiplayer later. Which makes me go, oh, is there going to be like a, a half price, like $30 multiplayer only Last of Us game later? That would be weird, you know, like it'd be Wolfenstein Youngblood version of The Last of Us or something. Uh, I imagine it's not going to be story content. It's just going to be multiplayer stuff. But if they do something like that, that's that's weird. That's unusual. Uh, I, I guess that's fine. I, I mean, I would check it out still, right? It's The Last of Us. It had some interesting multiplayer before, and I'll check out the multiplayer, you know, again here. But that's interesting. That, that intrigues me as to what that multiplayer is going to be if they're going to release it as its own separate standalone thing. So, I don't know. I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know what that means. But I it, it makes me curious. And now on to the final piece of news. Now, pay close attention 
to this piece of news. This news is extremely important. As a matter of fact, this news could save your life. So listen to this. If you are... We interrupt this regularly scheduled programming to bring you this important review of IT Chapter 2. Something happens to you when you leave this town. The farther away, the hazier it all gets. But me, I never left. I remember all of it. We made an oath. I swear. If it isn't dead. If it ever comes back. We'll come back to it. We didn't stop it. Pennywise. The clown. <laughs> we can't let it happen again. It. Chapter 2. 27 years after their first encounter with the terrifying Pennywise, the Losers Club have grown up and moved away until a devastating phone call brings them back. Now this is gonna be a little bit more off-the-cuff kind of review than my typical reviews. I normally have more notes written down, a little more thoughts processed than I have for this review, so if I sound a bit scatterbrained or if I'm all over the place a little bit, well, I mean, come on, it's not that much different than my regular content, so y'all are probably used to it, right? Alright, so, moving into IT Chapter 2 here, uh, thematically, I guess, let's start there, uh, it's about... Just being yourself. Be who you are. Don't be scared to be the person that you are. Ultimately, that's just kind of the ending message kind of wrapped up around this movie. They, they make it fairly clear in this movie that that's uh, what it's about. And I think that's more or less true. I, I think the, the context that the movie uses this with is maybe not the best context for the movie. I mean, um, for, for the message, I guess, you know, being, you know, being confident in who you are and that kind of thing. Okay, you know, good. But the way the movie uses it, it's, it's, there's like some homosexual characters that are like, hey, you know, we are who we are kind of thing. And they just kind of stand up to that. And it's like, okay, yeah, there you're, you are just being who you are right there. If you're a homosexual and you're standing up and say, hey, this is who I am. It's like, yeah, yeah, that, okay, maybe that's who you are. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's a good thing, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's an okay thing. There is sin that is an innately part of us. You know, we, you know, if we're continually sinning in this way or something in some, in, you know, in some way, and then that sin is kind of a part of us, and you're like, hey, you know what? This sin is is part of who I am. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, but maybe not be confident in that sin maybe instead try to uh to try to fix the sin but obviously the uh the the homosexuality is not being viewed as sin in this movie it's being viewed as as fine and normal and when other people look on it as bad they're the ones that would probably be sinning you're right you know um and there is some like hate crimes and things that go on in this movie that is like 
you know, absolutely horrible. You know, it's like just because, you know, someone is, is homosexual or something, it doesn't mean you'd beat the crap out of them or something, right? Uh, which is, is something that happens in this movie. So overall, the message, I mean, yeah, it, it's not that great. Um, <laughs> Alright, just moving on here to the review. Uh, I really enjoyed the first It. The first It movie I thought was a really solid horror movie with a really interesting villain. Pennywise is a very interesting villain, but it was really all brought together by the cast. The cast of kids was just great and they're back for little bits in this movie and when they're back they're great again here but this time around they're adults you know now we see the adult versions of them primarily in this movie and honestly i thought the adult versions of them were great i think they they paralleled their child versions very well and then they also blended together as this kind of new cast of actors they blended together very well and it felt very natural like like old friends kind of meeting again and, and catching up again that's kind of what it felt like because it, I think all these actors and everything meshed very well very much like when the kids kind of all meshed together very well in the first movie so I thought the cast was great all the way around you know I I really didn't think there was a weak link in the cast. I I pretty much enjoyed them all. Uh, it is, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm not going to necessarily call out all the different ones, but I thought overall they were really good. They had some good character building and developing moments with uh, a lot of them. And yeah, overall, I thought the cast was really solid and really good. That's, that's honestly probably the high point of this movie. Uh, now, Pennywise. Okay, I really enjoyed Pennywise in the first It movie. Very strange, not sure what's going on with him, but the, they're just like adding little bits of mythology in there, and it's like, oh, what is going on with this one? We get a lot more of what Pennywise is and stuff in this movie, and it's very strange. And not always a good strange the first movie, you know, it had some weirdness around Pennywise, but for the most part, I think it was good weirdness, right? You know, it's because the some of the weirdness that added to the creepiness of the character. This one was just, it's weirdness that added to the mythology that was kind of, some of that was kind of interesting, and then some of it was kind of weird, and honestly, some of it was just kind of stupid. And so, so, okay, Pennywise, he can, like, transform into whatever your worst nightmare is, right? Very, very cool idea for a villain, but a majority of the time in the first movie, he was the clown, right? He was Pennywise the clown, and he made you fear the clown no matter what your fears were, right? And that worked really well. He would use elements of your fears, but then he was the, the base him was the clown. This one went so far into just the direction of other things other than the clown, and pretty much all of them I found less interesting and less scary than Pennywise himself, than Pennywise the clown version of Pennywise, as opposed to the all these other versions of Pennywise that we see here. This movie is not nearly as, as creepy as the first movie. I didn't find the first movie overly scary, but it was way scarier than this one. This one, it has its moments. It has sequences that are really creepy and sequences that are really cool with Pennywise. 
And then there's a lot of sequences. There's a lot of sequences in this that are goofy or just kind of stupid and not scary at all. It's like, why are you doing this? It's not scary. It's not stu. It's not. It's it's funny sometimes. Like I laughed sometimes when some of the stuff happened. When I'm pretty sure you were supposed to be scared, not laughing. It, it was just the Pennywise as a creature here did not work as well in this movie as he did in the first movie. Now, I don't know how much of this is because of what is written in the book. I've never read the Stephen King book. I actually started reading the Stephen King book, but I stopped due to reasons I'll get into in a future episode of the podcast. Stay tuned. It's going to be the 12 things episode, uh, the the 12 things I'm going to experience in the next year. That episode is coming up very soon. But I believe it was on the list for this last year, and I, I, I read some of it, and I stopped because of reasons I'll get to there. But honestly, I, I went and I read on Wikipedia the mythology of Pennywise the Clown from the book, and it's like his his mythology there I find so much more fascinating than I did in this second movie. His his what they explained there and then kind of the vagueness of what they explained in the first movie I found way more intriguing than what we got in this movie, which I mean it's somewhat similar. They definitely kept it somewhat close, but then there's some differences that are like, oh, I think these things are way more intriguing in the book than they were in the movie. Coming from someone who's never read the book that just read the Wikipedia page about Pennywise. The story here uh, is interesting. It, it it starts off good and then it goes into some really just kind of weird and, and sometimes again kind of stupid directions that I didn't really like. Uh, I've... I, okay, for one thing, I don't know if th- this... I don't know if this is a spoiler or not. Okay, they have a method that they think, okay, this is how we're going to get rid of Pennywise. They have this idea of a way to get rid of Pennywise, and it's just not how I ever thought of Pennywise before, and it's just... I, I don't like that idea of Pennywise. I think that's kind of just stupid and lame, the way they were... that they were like, oh, this is how we're going to do it. So... You know, you can watch it and figure out how that all happens. But I think, I don't know, I thought that was just kind of stupid and lame. I, it's probably from the book, I guess, maybe. I don't know. But I thought that was kind of stupid and lame. Also, there's some pretty convenient things that happened in this book that are in this movie that's like, hey, you know, we're going to just set this here and make this really convenient just to move the story of the, the movie along as opposed to making it a compelling story, uh, which I mean, this is a long movie. So I guess they were just trying to speed things up a little bit from the book because the book is insanely long. Uh, but um so, you know, okay, I guess fine, but it, it just seemed like a bit convenient while watching it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's overall, this movie, I, I enjoyed it more immediately after watching it, but the more I think about it and the more I reflect on it, the less I like it. Like, like after watching it, I'm like, oh, definitely not as good as the first movie but you know it's it still has all these positives it's still you know there's these creepy moments pennywise is still cool sometimes not always though i liked the cast the cast is the best part of this movie i think they were really good but there's all these other elements that i don't like and the further away i get from the movie and the more i think about it the less i like the movie as a whole and the more i think man that first movie was just so good and so solid all the way around even though it's it's not the perfect movie in my opinion but it was so solid all the way around that 
that that you know this movie having so many more problems than that just sticks out so much more and it's just it's kind of a bummer you know i mean i i was gonna go with a 3.5 immediately after seeing it but now i think i'm gonna drop it down to a three out of five stars on the enjoyability scale there's some positives in there if you liked the first movie i mean go ahead and watch this one it's just not as good as that first one hello While I'm here, I thought I might as well talk about a uh, TV show here that I binged on Netflix the other day called Afterlife. But first, the Helix Reviews podcast is a proud member of the Christian Geek Central Network, a hub of all kinds of cool Christian geeky stuff from around the web, funneled to one place, ChristianGeekCentral.com. Check it out. So yeah, uh, let's talk about Afterlife. If you're watching this, then I'm not around anymore. But don't spiral. Don't obsess. Keep going. So how are you? A good day is when I don't go around wanting to shoot random strangers in the face and then turn the gun on myself. Bad then. I thought I'd leave you a little guide to life without me. You're lovely, but you're absolutely useless. Stay active. It's not ideal to be a fat, lazy, self-pitying lump. You know how grumpy you get when things don't go your way. You've got such a good heart. You're born like it. You're just decent. This is Sandy. If you could show her the ropes, tell her what's what. Humanity is a plague. We're a disgusting, selfish parasite, and the world would be a better place without us. Is that the sort of thing you meant? No. Afterlife. After Tony's wife dies unexpectedly. Oh, okay, I'm reading this off IMDb. It wasn't unexpectedly. She died of cancer, so it's... It, wasn't that unexpectedly, I don't think. Anyway, his nice guy persona is altered into an impulsive devil-may-care attitude, taking his old world by storm. This is... This, this does not do this film justice. Why did I even read this? Okay, this uh, <laughs> this isn't a film, by the way. This is a TV show. I think it's just a miniseries. Uh, after watching this first season, it seems like a complete story arc. It doesn't seem like we need to go anywhere from here. So, I I'm pretty sure this is it. But it's about this guy... He loses his wife, and then he decides, okay, you know what, I he, he's suicidal, he's ridiculously depressed, you know, and, and he just, he does not care. And so he just starts ripping into everybody and everything around him, taking out his anger, taking out his depression and everything on just everybody and everything around him. And this is a comedy. This is hilarious. This is a dark comedy, man. This is simultaneously, like, depressing and hilarious at the same time, man. Okay, so this stars Ricky Gervais, who is, uh, he's a, a British actor that's been in a, a whole bunch of things, and this guy is hilarious. I, uh, I enjoy him as an actor. He was the, the main guy in the British version of The Office. 
which I don't like, by the way. I don't like the British version of The Office, but that's probably his biggest thing. But if you know the actor Ricky Gervais, you can probably imagine how he can just rip into everybody, and that's what he does here, and it's hilarious. It is so funny, but it is simultaneously extremely depressing to see this guy just tanking in life and just go his life is going down the tubes and he is you know suicidal and you see this this show does such a great job at showing you depression and showing you someone taking the loss of a loved one really really badly you know and they use it for jokes in a lot of the places, but they never make fun of that necessarily. No, they never make fun of that because the show really is all about all about his depression and how how his depression works and how he's getting through this or not getting through this as the the case may be. And it's it's surprisingly sweet for as like darkly comedic and stuff as this can be. It's surprisingly sweet at times. And it's great attention is being paid to the, the small details about when this guy, you know, meets up with, like, another widower or something here. The way he treats her as opposed to, you know, treating everybody else and all this kind of stuff. The attention to detail is fantastic. And they just, they really do a good job at fleshing out his character, fleshing out even kind of his wife's character to a certain extent, whom we get like some flashback kind of things with, uh, fleshing out the character of, you know, some of his workmates and some of, you know, just some people that he knows and things, some of his family a little bit, you know, fleshing out some of these characters while simultaneously being kind of real quick and kind of snappy about things, being very comedic about things and getting you through this six episode series or six episode season I don't I don't again I don't know if another season's going to be coming or whatnot but getting you through this is as fast as possible but as as effectively as possible too because while you are laughing at some of this stuff while you're laughing at some of the stuff he says and how he'll make fun of people or, or whatever it can be kind of mean-spirited at times so if that's not your thing I could understand you not liking this but it's, it gets you through all that while laughing and having fun, but also really feeling the emotion of this character, or really kind of going on this story arc with this character. And I think this, I, I think this could definitely be described as a sitcom, I guess, but it 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 elevates the genre of sitcom to more of just a drama. It's it's kind of a sitcom because it is. It's a comedy about this guy in this workplace that has this problem and this is him not dealing with it very well. And they use that to comedic effect. It's a situation comedy, so it's technically a sitcom, but it really focuses so much on the drama so effectively that you really care about these characters, especially this lead character, and it's just really well done. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, the... There, there's like some explanations in here for why he should be 
uh, continuing on with life. Why why life shouldn't stop after you know your your the thing that your world revolves around you know leaves. You know the his world completely revolved around his wife, and then she dies, and now he you know he's like I have nothing to live for anymore. And the the show goes in it exploring kind of uh, reasons that you should live on and reasons and stuff and. Some of which are good, not all of which are good. I mean, this is a very godless show. This is a very atheistic show. It, it makes that very clear throughout the, the course of these six episodes. Uh, there is a character in here that is, I guess, a Christian? A religious, at the very least. So, or, you know, quote-unquote, I believe everybody is religious, you know, so... I believe atheism is a religion, right? So, okay, whatever. Everybody's religious, but, you know, religious in, I guess, the traditional pop culture kind of sense. There's a character that's kind of religious, and uh, she's looked on as kind of adult, and, uh, and she brings up some things. Like, she brings up some stuff that's, like, kind of hinting on some, uh, you know, good points, but not just not very well brought up, not very well said, and then they immediately shut her down with, no, that's not how life works. You know, no, that's not right. And so it's like, okay, you know, you bring up some of these Christian ideas and they kind of immediately shut them down. Now they do say like, hey, you know, if Christianity is a, a crutch that you want to, you know, lean on, it's on you. I don't care, but it, it's not accurate, but whatever, that's on you. So it's like, I, I don't know, I guess that's, you know. Get the little wins while you can, I guess. I don't know. It's not a very good win. That's a, it's pretty much a loss. But anyway, um, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, so a very atheistic show, not a very godless show, but still a very affecting show, a very good show for the time period it's in, I think, as far as we're in a very depressed generation, right? And uh, this show is about depression and about how there is how there is kind of more to life than just you know than when you're depressed and don't feel like there is anything more to life or you should just end it all or you know all this this kind of stuff that when you're extremely depressed it is going through your head right and this kind of addresses that and while having this character that is is just constantly so depressed and just constantly down in the dumps, they still kind of show you, no, life is worth living, and they show you some of the positives there as well in a really, really good and effective way. Check out Afterlife. It's it's a really good Netflix original series. Uh, it's, again, six episodes long. The episodes are like, you know, 22-minute type episodes, I think. You know, r real short, easy to get through this whole thing. You could probably watch it all in one setting and it'd be, you know, maybe roughly the length of a movie or something. Maybe a little more, I don't know. But uh, but pretty quick, pretty easy to get through and, and very, you know, funny if you're into dark comedy and uh, very emotionally affecting at the same time. It can get very crude uh, at points, unnecessarily crude, I think. And then at other points, I think they... They actually used the crude humor of the movie, of the show, to actually build the characters and to actually tell the story better, which is something that I don't know that I've ever seen in a movie, like really using crude humor to, el to, to actually make the story or the characters better, you know? Most of the time it's just like, eh, crude humor to shock people or to make it funny, you know, in this, this very extreme, like, whoa kind of way, uh, but... 
most of the time that's most of the time, in my opinion, anyway, that it doesn't elevate the movie in any way. This one, I think some of the, the crudity, some of the crassness of the show actually made it better because it, it, it further explained, it, it further showed the story, it further showed these, these characters and where specifically this Ricky Drace's character is at. So anyway... This show is genius. This show is fantastic. It's written and produced by Ricky Gervais, and it stars Ricky Gervais in the main role. So, I mean, really, if you're a fan of him, you should probably check this out. And if what I just described sounds interesting to you, check this out. This is, it's really interesting. It came out of nowhere for me. A friend of mine just said, hey, you know what? This was really hilarious. You should check this out. And I was like, all right. And I checked it out, and I was like, this, this is really hilarious, but also you know, really kind of emotionally affecting at the same time. Some really good stuff. Some just, again, out of nowhere, and I, I really enjoyed it. I'll give it a four out of five stars on the enjoyability scale. You can't just go around being rude to people. You can, though. The dog should be on a lead. Oh, right. Oh, sorry. Thank you. What? He is not a fat, hairy, nosy Sorry about that. Disgusting. If I do and say what the I want, and then when it all gets too much, I can always kill myself. It's like a superpower. That's the worst superhero I've ever heard of. So that is all for this emergency review session of the Helix Reviews podcast, bringing you back to your regularly scheduled programming. And he died. Do you guys understand this is extremely important? So if you did not get that message, go back and rewind and listen to that because that was extremely vital. This is a life or death situation. Please pay attention to the message that I am telling you. And if you have the answer to the question that I asked earlier, shoot me an email, helixreviewspodcast at gmail.com, and let me know the answer to the question. That is it for this extremely important news segment for Double Helix News. This is David Bagerlington of Double Helix News signing out. See you next time, ladies and gentlemen.